You know, it's funny. I've been sitting here staring at your picture in picture image in the corner of my screen on Skype here for so long that when I look away, I see a negative version of your black t-shirt and and your pale face (laughs) in my vision. That's kind of nice. It's like I'm burned into you. Like if your eyes were a plasma screen television. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're my OLED burn in. Yeah. (laughs) Your eyelid burn in, right? Aye. Welcome to episode 337, the eat episode, I call it, of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. <laughs> and I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Eat, like 337 E-E-T, eat. Uh-huh. Okay. Eat. <laughs> okay. Well, here's what I was thinking is, the odds of us getting to 1,337 episodes- <laughs> To be a have a lead one up. Are low. Yeah. And what would that be? 1,337 divided by 52. I don't know. It's like 25 years. Yeah. So if be. we're recording this in the year 20, what, 40, we will- have the lead episode and it'll all be worth it at that point. <laughs> all right well welcome back to the show yeah sorry i messed up my whole uh we, we have this rhythm brian we have this kind of rhythm that we do when we open a show you say i know i threw us I, I threw a curveball in there i wanted to keep you on your toes yeah i don't want you to get lazy marshall and you know i've been I, i've really been thinking about that this past year i'm like what are ways i can make marshall less lazy like he hardly contributes to the show <laughs> yeah 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 fair enough <laughs> <laughs> all right let's dig in so first of all we have some new supporters to the show thank you so much to new vips aka very important pixels on our patreon shouts to Vinny, matthew atkinson adam fuhrer matthias arland keaton taylor and ethan and ethan is the first person to do something on our Patreon, which I found very interesting. It caught my eye. I thought about it for a long time. So our minimum donation amount on Patreon is a dollar. Mm-hmm. But you can go as high up as you want. Yeah. You can do any amount over a dollar. Yeah. But basically everyone just does like $1, $2, $3, etc. Uh-huh. Ethan hit us with that $1.10. That's the coin to us witchers, Brian. Yeah, but accompanied it with a very, very kind message saying, you know, supporting as much as I can. So thank you, Ethan. Thank you, Ethan. But seriously, the extra dime caught my eye. So Now uh, you know. Now you know the trick. Yeah, now you know how to get our attention. Well, I got to uh-huh. say also, I, I recognize Keaton Taylor's name. I know Keaton from the Twitters. The Twitters? Yeah. Oh, man, like longtime Twitter compatriot friend yeah, Twitter yeah. pal so welcome to the fam if you want to support the show for just a buck a month go to patreon.com slash design details that gets you access to a sponsor free feed of all of our episodes as well as access to bonus land bonus land bonus land, bonus land. Bonus land. Uh, we have a new bonus land episode coming soon we promise it's been super busy for both of us but we have it recorded it is getting edited and we will release it very soon all right we have a new sponsor this week this week we are supported by fathom analytics Boy, oh boy, Marshall, this has been one of my cool things in the past. I have uh, been a huge fan of Fathom for a long time now. This analytics service, it's a two-man operation, and they record uh, a podcast every once in a while, and I love listening to their podcast. I've been tweeting at them. So anyways, I'm very excited to have Fathom on the show. Fathom is a simple, straightforward way to get analytics on your website. It is ridiculously simple to integrate. It is incredibly fast, and it has all the features that you need for your personal website, for a side project, 
and it's built with privacy in mind. So you don't have to show a cookie notice. You don't have to worry about all this GDPR crap. You just put in their little tiny script on your website and you get access to some pretty simple information, but it's the information that actually matters for you if you're running a personal website. So for me, I get to see what content on my website people are visiting, where they're visiting from. So referrers like Twitter, Facebook, Google. I can see uh, just a broad grouping of are they coming on their phone, desktop, or tablet, what browser they use, and what country they're from. That's it. So there's these like five modules and then you get little graphs over time. You can change the date range. You get a nice little weekly summary to see how your traffic's growing. So back in December, I signed up for Fathom. Uh, I paid for the yearly subscription because it's definitely worth it. First of all, super happy to support indie software and just pay for a good thing. But secondly, the fact that you're paying for this software says a lot of things, right? Like this is their business model. They are privacy first. They care about having something that is sustainable and profitable from day one. So you pay a few bucks a month, you get this analytics software that you can use for all of your, your websites and side projects, and it's incredibly simple. That's it. That's all you need. So if you have a personal website and you just want to know what content people are visiting, where they're coming from, are they on their phone or their laptop, just these little things that might help you make better decisions about uh, what content to write, how to think about responsiveness and the design of your site, or if you're just working on a side project and you want to measure like the way people are engaging with that side project in the early days, cl- capture some events, or uh, you can track goals. All that is possible with Fathom. Again, incredibly easy to set up. So we have a promo for you. If you go to designdetails.fm/fathom, that's going to give you a $20 credit to your first invoice. So if you're signing up for that yearly plan, chop off $20. I highly recommend it. I have installed it on all of my side projects. So I have it running on my personal website, on the design details website, on the spec website, on security checklist, and basically everything that I ever make going forward, I'm going to be dropping Fathom in there. It's so simple and I highly recommend it. So thank you so much to Fathom for supporting the show. Hope everyone will check it out. Go to designdetails.fm slash Fathom. All right, let's get into it. We got a little bit of follow-up. All right, so we got a tweet from Dennis Cortez. Handle on Twitter is shyboytm. Very nice. Yeah. Shyboytm says about our previous episode, talking about learning by doing, says, I think this is the one place where the whole, quote, going to design school, unquote, has an advantage. You learn a lot of these fundamentals that help in visual work that you just miss out on with these new courses and ways to learn. For example, we were required to read the elements of typographic style, the elements of graphic design, grid systems, etc. And I still find myself using paradigms from those subconsciously nowadays. So design school, that's a whole other episode, huh? I guess so. I've never read any of those books, Brian. I haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, are we phonies? Ah, we didn't learn any of this? Uh, it, it would explain why I'm terrible at typography because I've never read the elements of typographic style. Yeah, well, shit. Let's have links to all those books in the show notes. And Marshall, maybe you and I should set ourselves a goal of perusing those ourselves and see if we're missing some fundamentals that will be like, I, I could see it going a couple ways. One will be like, oh, that's an articulation for a thing that I've been doing and I didn't know why I was doing it. Or we might actually just learn some stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super curious, especially with grid systems. I'm super curious to find out if the stuff I have learned through osmosis and observation 
is accurate or if I've been doing it wrong or I've just been following what everybody else is doing and really there's a better way that has been forgotten in the old tomes, the old dead tree tomes, Brian. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think this is the interesting challenge for folks like you and I. We are self-taught. We are learners of the web, like the internet taught us. We didn't learn design in school. Mm -hmm. So we're absorbing, I'm sure, a lot of the lessons there secondhand. But yeah, like not having gone to the source, I think I feel embarrassed a little bit, but also like have gotten by, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know what that says. Like both, but I guess, I guess we're jumping back to like the original premise of that episode was like, how do you actually start out and like learn this stuff? And yeah, maybe this is the the ramp up, right? Like pick up these books, go to design school, like mm -hmm. have a curriculum and weekly check-ins to say, hey, we're learning this this week because of this reason. Here's the chapter to read. Like that sort of regiment is probably a good way to ramp up. Maybe a good way to say what we suggested was essentially stand on the shoulders of giants. I felt like that's how mm. I came up is like I I just looked at how the people who were doing it really well did it. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that whole standing on the shoulders of giants applies to like literally everything in our profession mm -hmm. from open source to engineering to just even the fact that we design the way that we design like so many of the interaction models we have like hey we have touch screens like why do we have touch screens because some other people fucking 30 years ago thought that touch screens would be a great interface for computers mm -hmm. and here we are so oh man if you go all the way back to like xerox you know like the xerox oh, yeah days. i guess we're like 50 years ago I'm, I literally said 30 years mm -hmm. ago thinking that it was the year 2000 right no, now. It, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm perpetually stuck in the... Like, the 80s is always 20 years ago. It's 20 years up. ago. That shit yeah. was 40 years ago, Brian. It's crazy. It's crazy oh, to me. damn. Anyways, right. but have you seen... Have you seen... We're going really long on this follow-up, but uh, have you seen The Mother of All Demos? Uh, fuck. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Listener, if you haven't seen it, you should go look on the YouTubes, search Doug for Doug Engelbart. Yes, yes, yes. The Mother of All Demos. It's a black and white video of this guy essentially demoing all the stuff we take for granted today, and it's in black and white, if that's any indication of how fucking long ago it was, right? <laughs> like, but it's all the things that are natural now were in this one single demo. It wasn't like, oh, they predicted one thing. <laughs> it's like all this shit. Anyways. Uh, Mother of all demos, check it out. That's a, that's a pretty cool things, cool thing, Brian. Love it. All right, uh, let's get into some tweets. So we heard from Sahil Chaturvedi. Sahil says, I've been listening for ages, but to be honest, I still can't tell your voices apart, which is why I always tag oh, no. both of you when he tweets at us. <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, all right, so Marshall, what are some tips for people who can't tell our voices apart? Like, <laughs> How would you describe your mannerisms, your, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I can give you one of mine. Mine, I go, uh. <laughs> no, I cut those out. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the sad thing is when I was trying to think about this and, and I was listening back to our podcast with this in mind, trying to, you know, okay, if I didn't know that was my voice or Brian's voice, would I be able to tell them apart by the timbre of the voice or the speaking cadence or anything like that? We talk pretty similarly. However, the one thing that I could definitely single out, two things really. One, I tend to laugh a lot when I'm talking. So I'll laugh during the words instead of between the uh -huh. words. Also, I just did it then. 
Also, I mumble, which is a terrible thing. But I think if you're if you're trying to tell us apart, I'm the one who can't talk right. Mm. I'm Marshall, by the way. <laughs> Marshall's Marshall mumbles. Also, I, <laughs> I end my sentences with Brian a lot, which means it's not Brian talking. That's a fair point. Unless you're one of those third person kind of people. Well, that was my proposal. Is from here on out, we just say Brian speaking. It would just be like a really poorly written script, like. So, Brian, what do you think about this? Well, Marshall, I was thinking. Uh, that would drive me nuts. Anyways, uh, for anyone else struggling with this, Sahil found the solution. So basically, we have uh, now we have chapters for our cool things at the end. And the chapters are labeled as, you know, Brian's cool thing, Marshall's cool thing. So you could go and, like, listen to the cool thing speaking with our name as the chapter label and build the association that way. Yeah, that'll work. All right, last week, Joshua Taylor, previous guest on the pod, released a product that he's been working on for a long time. It's called Parrot. Yeah. It is a podcast app that helps you save, share, and discover clips from podcasts you're listening to. And we're shouting this out because in all of Josh's promo artwork, like on Twitter and stuff, it uses a little design details clip, and it's so nice. You see all uh, our show artwork on all the little images. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That was a pleasant surprise, so thank you. Yeah, but the app is nice as well, so if you want to check that out, go to parrot.fm. Free promo for you, Josh. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Adam Fuhrer tweeted at us, also new, uh, very important pixel. Adam says, just discovered the podcast. Love the show, guys. Rock on hand emoji. (laughs) Yeah, devil horn emoji. Is that what that is? No. That's a rock on. That's devil horns. That's like the. That's not devil horns. That's rock on. What are you talking about? Well, I guess devil horns has the thumb tucked. Wait, yeah. Now I'm thinking about the thumb. Shit. Uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe the thumb has to hold the fingers for it to be the devil horns. This is just the. Uh, yeah. This is like almost like surfer. Bro- this is actually the I love you uh, sign no, no, language no, that's symbol. This. No, no, no. That's, that's why. And also shaka bra. This <laughs> with pinky, index, and thumb. That's I love you in sign language. Yeah. This is fascinating podcast content. <laughs> Speaking of fascinating podcast content, we also heard from Gabriel Valdivia, long time friend of the pod, past guest, multiple past guest, and generally a great person. Gabe says, respect to Marshall Bach for referencing Flight of the Concords at the yeah. beginning of the last episode. <laughs> Funniest show of all time. And I'm embarrassed to admit, I don't know what he's talking about. Oh my God. God, Brian, you haven't seen Flight of the Concords? No, no, no. I've seen Flight of the Concords, but I missed the reference. Oh, I don't oh, know oh, what oh, you're talking oh, okay, about. Okay, cool. Well, if 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 you're listening and you haven't seen Flight of the Concords, they did a, a whole like HBO special with like two seasons or something. You should watch it. It's very funny. They're musicians and very dry New Zealanders. Uh, it's great. Very dry. Yeah. Uh, you would actually probably recognize all of them from other things they have done as well. Anywho, I forget exactly what we're talking about, but you said think about it and i instinctually retorted with think think about it which is a reference to one of their songs called think about it brian i know it's a strange title Uh but there's a part where they say think think about it so and that's burned into your brain forever it's like it's like a call and response pavlovian thing brian i can't help it there's a lot of things like that that's just one of them your brain has been so molded by pop culture yeah just just think about it. <laughs> think think about it. Fuck. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, last follow-up tweet. Here we go. This one comes from Renato Dubs. Renato says, a shout-out to the good people at Design Details. Seriously, tune in. It's a fantastic thought-provoking process oh. about all things design and design thinking. Thank you for your hard work to deliver good content. And I say to that, thank you, Renato, for your kind tweet. Yeah. 
For it is tweets like this <laughs> that make it all worth it. It's very fun to to hear that people enjoy listening. So thanks a bunch. Seriously, yeah. All right, Marshall, let's dig into some news. Something buck wild happened on the internet this week. Yeah. Let me let me just lob a word your way. Okay. And I want to hear hear your thought. Mm-hmm. Um, fleet. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, if 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 I'm doing like word association, you say fleet. My my first thought is like uh, a fleet of trucks, right? Mm, or yeah. or like maybe fleet of foot, right? Like yeah. Fast, but that ain't what it is, Brian. What is it? Fleets. Fleets are a new thing that Twitter is experimenting with, which the closest comparison would be stories. Right? They are new ephemeral tweets yeah you cannot like them you cannot retweet them you cannot reply to them uh it says people can react with dms which isn't a reaction that's like a response so people will be able to dm you but yeah it's gonna have like a a row of circle avatars at the top of your feed Mm -hmm. with a little colored ring to indicate when somebody has a new fleets and you can Mm -hmm. leave fleets and you can't refleet but uh anyways (laughs) refleet it's sort of a annoying word but when when you see it in this context you're like oh fleeting yeah fleeting like momentary yeah hit me with your gut reaction like what do you think of for our sanity let's just call them stories what do you think of twitter stories (laughs) yeah well okay so what's really interesting to me is that they have both leaned upon and broken away from precedent when it comes to these kind of things right so they're doing the standard uh, row of avatars at the top of the home screen thing that everybody does when they do stories. That's cool. That's like what people expect. But what's interesting is they haven't followed with. It's not a video product. Like it's not a. It's it's not a short form video thing. Every other story that's ever been made is based on videos that go away, not on text. text. So they've followed precedent for the entry point. And they broke away from precedent for the actual content itself. The rules are kind of the same, but it's it's not video; it's text. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The so I'm watching the preview video of how it works, and again, like that entry point is the same. The entry point is familiar, but the rest of the interactions after that are pretty new. It seems novel. I haven't seen interactions like this so the way it works is you have like a vertically scrolled list of fleets that you can page through and you can react with but those reactions get sent as direct messages so now i'm just going to get a bunch of dms that are like the fire emoji or something that seems annoying i would be surprised if that shipped i think like instagram's model here is appropriate like people can leave an emoji reaction and i get a little notification about that but, uh, oh shit, do those come through as DMs as well on Instagram? Now that yeah, I that out loud? my guess is that this... Oh shit, that is a DM. Yeah, this yeah. is the chat uh, solution that Twitter has come up with, right? Which is the same solution that everybody else has come up with. Yeah. Another interesting departure here is the vertical aspect of it. Yeah, scrolling vertically. Yeah. yeah. But it fits, again, it fits the form, right? Twitter isn't video, Twitter is text. And text is better read north to south rather than east to west, right? Yeah, the only point where the metaphor breaks, this is so minor, but like the row of avatars aligns with the way that you page through people, right? Mm. So if you're looking at stories on Instagram, you see a row of people and you go to the right to get to the next person, right? You do a, a hard swipe right, but here you're scrolling up and down and it's moving you rightwards along that row of avatars. 
I don't think that's a big deal, but I'm just watching this video over and over again, and I can't think of a super compelling reason why they couldn't just have these fleets page left to right, except that they have a design decision where like the fleet that's in focus just takes up the middle portion of the screen, so you can actually see a peak of the previous fleet and the next fleet, mm -hmm. which I think if you are stringing text together, maybe that makes sense. Like you can get a snippet of like, oh, I just read this thing. Now I'm reading a new thing and I can see the first few words of what's coming next. And so for reading, maybe that makes more sense. Whereas if you're just paging through images and videos on Instagram, it's not as big of a deal. So I could understand why that would be a design decision here, but it could work the other way too, right? Yeah, well, I, I have a question for you, Brian. Okay. The way I would kind of expect it based on that face row that we were talking about earlier and the vertical nature of the tweets is that a vertical page of fleets would be from a single person and a horizontal swipe would take me to the next person. Is that how it works or are they all just stacked vertically? That would make sense. There's not in this video, and I think this is a very early like test of the product in this video, there's not any sort of signifier or affordance that a left right swipe would move to the next person. Although it seems like that interaction makes the most sense to get to the next person on your list. So right. Especially with that face row. Yeah. There's just not a signifier that you can do it as far as I can tell. But yeah, that's a good point. Maybe when you get to the bottom, it automatically advances you to the next one. But do you notice the vertical pagination dots on the left side? I did, yeah. That's a pattern that doesn't get used very often. Yeah, but it also aligns with the way stories works. Where like, if you watch somebody's stories and then you close the app and then you come back later and you open their story, it'll pick up where you left off, right? So you're always continuing from the same point in time. And it looks like they have that same behavior here because in this video, which, sorry, link in the show notes, in the video, you can see that when the person opens a user's fleets for the first time, they're actually starting on the third of five entry into that timeline, third of five, yeah. So seems like there's going to be a lot of overlapping interactions here, but I, okay, well, here, let's let's end it here. Uh, are you going to use it? It depends on what kind of stuff is shared here. I I don't use Instagram. I, I look at my fiance's stories, but I, I don't really use that feature very much. Yeah. She makes up for my lack of using that feature because that's like <laughs> basically all she uses. She creates yeah. stuff and she consumes a lot of stuff. Instagram's metrics are net neutral in your household. <laughs> <laughs> basically, yeah, between the two of us. Yeah, it, it all evens out. Yeah. We'll see. I'll, I'll definitely check it out, especially because some of the animations and transitions and stuff here look really polished and nice. So it'll be fun to just scroll around in it, you know? Yeah, it'll be fun to play with and see how they're going to answer some of these questions around how do you get to the next user, um, like picking up over time, like what happens if you have a ton of them. Seeing how Instagram handles somebody that has like 100 stories is interesting. Uh, the way Instagram like auto paginates you through like will there be any sort of mechanics here to like push you kind of through someone's fleets or is it all manual and you like have to scroll looks like that's the case but anyways those are interesting questions like figuring out the deviation from what we think of as stories today as, as a general pattern and how Twitter interprets that here's where I'm a little bit stuck is somehow this seems useful but tweets to me already are kind of ephemeral like I know there are people who don't use Twitter in that way. There are people who really think of Twitter as like this incredible library of knowledge, but there's very, very, very few times that I actually like kind of scroll back in time through either my profile or someone else's profile. So maybe I'm an edge case here. Just, yeah. I, I already feel like my timeline is just super fleeting. I, I check it, you know, a few times a day and that's, that's how I keep up with things. 
Well, I can make an assumption, and my my assumption is that for most people, Twitter is home and trending because those are the first two tabs that show up in the in the tab bar. So you're probably not edge case. Yeah. Well, I mean, all stories products are trying to solve this problem of I'm putting too much thought into something that's going on to the main timeline. So on Instagram, people were spending too long curating the perfect photo like making sure the editing was right and then if it wasn't getting enough reactions like they would delete it Mm -hmm. just this idea that you have to have a perfect feed removing formality yeah along comes stories it's like do whatever the fuck you want it's going to be gone in 24 hours nothing you can do about it uh so it seems like this is also a problem that they're trying to tackle you can kind of see earlier in this thread that uh this product lead who tweeted about this feature said, people often tell us they don't feel comfortable tweeting because tweets can be seen and replied to by anyone. They feel permanent and they feel performative. Uh, Like people are worried about how many likes they'll get. So it seems to make sense. They're kind of following the same behavioral, addressing the same underlying behavioral problem that that other stories formats are solving for. Okay, uh, some news. We ended up talking about that a bit longer than I anticipated. So this episode is going long. Um, Let's move on to a listener question. This one comes from Pavel Sisiak. Hopefully I'm saying your name right, Pavel. The question is, what, in your opinion, are quote-unquote meta skills and quote-unquote boring fundamentals of product design currently? And he references a definition of meta skills with this article that talks about the meta game, Brian. This is something I'm familiar with from being a gamer and playing lots of games. Another way you can tell me apart from Brian is I make games and, and uh, pop culture references all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But so I, I know what, what the meta means as far as games go, but this is kind of a broader definition of a meta game. So do you want to help us understand that? Okay. So first of all, I guess we'll have a link to this article in the show notes. Anyone who's interested might. You could call this like some pre-reading or you could read it after the fact. Homework, Brian. Don't give me homework. We're assigning homework and we're going to check <laughs> in with everybody next week. Okay. Okay. So I think we should start by defining the metagame. And I think the easiest way to do that is to use a gaming reference. Now, I, I know not everybody has played Overwatch, but this is a game that you and I are familiar with and maybe yeah. some other people are familiar with. Loosely, it is a competitive shooting game where there are 32 different characters that you can choose from. Is it 32 right now? Nah, I don't know. I, it's hard to keep track, but the, the dozens. Okay. There are lots of different characters that you can play as, and matches are always six versus six. Each person on the team gets to choose one of those roles. And what's interesting about Overwatch is that over time, they introduce new characters. They make certain characters stronger. They make certain characters weaker. Buffs and nerfs. Yeah, they they retune skills. They add skills. Sometimes they'll take a character and decide, oh, hey, nobody's playing this character. Let's just scrap everything and rebuild from the ground up. Like, what are what should the new skill set be? Mm-hmm. So in addition to the, the characters and the skills, there's also maps that you play on. And there's different environments and and those maps have certain layouts and mechanics to them that affect the way gameplay sort of progresses over time and the developers also make changes to those maps for example they'll find oh nobody ever goes down this route or this route is too long this route's too uh, tight so we're going to sort of refactor it here and make this map behave a little bit differently add a door here add a staircase there Mm -hmm. so the effect of all of these changes happening kind of week to week is that the strategy of playing the game changes week to week, even if the game's underlying rules and mechanics for victory are the same. 
So the mechanics to win don't change, but the play styles, the combinations of characters, the way that you approach a map, the way you navigate a map as a team, all of those things change. And then finally, of course, within a match, as you are playing against an opposing team, you can identify that team's strategy, that team's combinations, the way that they've paired up their six characters, the way they're using the map. And you have to, in real time, collaborate with your team to decide how you're going to re respond to that or, or sidestep that. So you have a, that's why this is a competitive and interesting and, and fun game to play and watch because there's so much happening week to week at the developer level, but then within every single match, you're getting an entirely different experience just based on your team's composition and the other team's composition. Yeah, maybe a simpler way to explain this is that it's a really complicated version of rock, paper, scissors. It's sometimes... <laughs> Rock is sure. stronger, so more people choose rock, and then that means that more people choose paper, because paper is the answer for rock. Yeah. The balance, right? It's all about the balance. Okay, so why are we talking about this? Well, there is this idea of playing the metagame in, in games like Overwatch, which is, yeah, you kind of are playing for victory, but there's this whole other sort of world of trying to figure out, as things change, what's the most efficient way for me to react or respond? in creative ways that nobody else has thought of reacting or responding. So for example, a new character gets added to the game. There are people who spend a lot of their time figuring out the way that that character's addition will influence every other character in the play field, how that character will play on every single map. And the people who are furthest ahead of understanding the changes to the metagame tend to perform better because they're, they're more proactive. They can make decisions that are novel to opposing teams. And so then you have this sort of battle over the meta of people responding to the meta with a new meta and the meta is constantly evolving. So it's just this ongoing challenge to stay on top of that and, and stay ahead of your opponents. So let's bring it back to this question. What are, in your opinion, the meta skills of product design? Well, I think, I mean, maybe we should first start with the boring fundamentals, which will be easy to get through. We kind of covered it in the books that we were talking about earlier, and we have several episodes where we talk about design fundamentals and, and stuff that is uh, core to good design. We just talked about it last episode. Key lines, all that good shit. Key lines, color, typography, layout, information, hierarchy, accessibility. All that stuff. That's table that stakes, stuff. right? <laughs> table stakes, boring shit. But it's, it is the, the foundation. Everything is built on that bedrock. So yeah. the meta skills are, are the clouds, I guess, in this stupid metaphor that I've just made. So... Uh, if the game happens on the surface, on those rules, there's stuff that happens above that that needs to be considered. So now we can answer this question. Yeah, what okay, are the middle skills of product design, Brian? All right, so I broke this up into two sort of buckets of things. The edges of each of these are a little bit blurry. So if, if this breaks the metaphor, like kind of breaks the definition of meta, just bear with me and doing my best here. But anyways, okay. so the two buckets I have are like hard skills and then soft skills slash like career development like okay. playing the career game i think this topic is ripe for discussing politicking and bureaucracy and things like that within an organization because that is a metagame but let's start with hard skills because i don't think these are boring fundamentals but these are things that change over time that affect the way that we as designers approach problems the way that we're going to collaborate the field of options available to us as we build solutions to problems so first one maybe most boring laws 
<laughs> the laws that say what is legal to do and what is illegal to do. And I think a great example that is fresh on everyone's mind is GDPR. So all of a sudden we have to care about cookie disclosure, privacy disclosure, data retention, data scrubbing, like you had to build forms for all of your users to self-delete their account, to request their data from you within 30 days. Like there's all this stuff that had to get built because of law change, which meant that as designers, we had to think about these things. Like every single designer had to say, all right, well, what's our cookie banner going to look like? Here you go. Yeah, the game changed. So the metagame had to change. The game done changed. All right, next up, I have hardware limitations. So I think this is kind of the most fun one, which is Mm. our hardware is getting better and better and better every year. Like we are all carrying supercomputers in our pockets. Mm -hmm. And the better that supercomputer gets, the more computational energy that we can throw at it, the more problems it can solve faster. So we can do more interesting things with things like video, photo, AR, VR. Like Mm -hmm. all of these things become unlocked because hardware is progressing so fast. Mm -hmm. The third thing that I have written down is the platform rules for which we build. So for example, the App Store, I think the most recent example that I saw this week on Twitter was Apple changed the rules around how you can use push notifications to send advertising promoted content. And that is a guideline that changes the way that you design and think about your application interfacing with its customers, right? Like, oh, all of a sudden, Apple says, I can do this thing where I can send promotional push notifications to people. They've put some rules around it. Like they have to be opt-in, has to be really clear why I'm receiving it. But all of a sudden, I have this new thing that I can use as a designer to talk to my customers. So that's a platform rule outside of my control that changes what I'm doing as a designer. The next one I have up is attention mechanics. So let's just call this like push notifications, red dots, using tool tips to point at new features that have shipped within an interface. And I think the great example of this, of course, is the Facebook nav bar. Like those red dots on that notification <laughs> button in that nav bar. Yeah. I mean, we are just Pavlovian dogs when we see a red dot literally anywhere on a screen. Got to clear my badges. Got to clear my badges. Red dot, I'm going to press that. Red dot, I'm going to press it over and over and over again every day, maybe for forever. We'll see. But what's interesting, the metagame of this is that as everybody fights for attention on screens, they all are rushing to find these paradigms like a red dot, like a push notification, like a tool tip to educate users about new features. But the problem is that in aggregate, the more applications and websites that do this, the less effective each one individually becomes because all of a sudden now as a user, you are inundated with red dots. And so each individual red dot means a little bit less. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then the last thing here on the like hard skills bucket is just around tool productivity. So the tools that we use day to day are changing, right? We're getting Mm -hmm. new features. There are new keyboard shortcuts being added. Figma adds auto layout. Sketch adds uh, cloud syncing and cloud collaboration. And these changes week to week have the potential to change the way that designers approach problems, change the velocity at which we can solve problems or get ideas onto screen. So I feel like there's something meta here about the tools evolution and then the way that we design uh, solutions to problems for screens. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. This all makes sense. 
Okay, so that's first bucket, hard skills. Second bucket, this one, I kind of want a little bit of a disclaimer here because I think this is where you can get really into the weeds of stuff that isn't good, but yet are things that you can do and things that people do do to sort of progress through their career. So <laughs> do do. I do do. So I'm going to just start off with with an easy one. Like there are different strategies that have emerged over time in in our industry about how to be a good cross-functional collaborator. So it's not always been the case that we have this idea of like a three-pillar team where each pillar is, you know, engineering, product and design. Like that is something that is happens to be a byproduct of the way that the industry has evolved. It's not necessarily a truth set in stone. So you could imagine that that changes over time. Like maybe in the future we have a fourth pillar, which is research or fourth pillar, which is sales. And all of a sudden you have this new rule added to the game of how you have every meeting when you go to work, who makes decisions in the room. And being able to navigate that cross-functional collaboration is a meta skill of being a designer. The next thing I have on my list is project selection. So if we're talking about uh, career development, like I think you'll notice that people tend to want to work on high visibility, high impact, sexy problems to solve. Things that are going to get the press release on TechCrunch, things that are going to get a lot of tweets that have the really nice screenshots and the attention grabbing headline. Mm -hmm. And that project selection process is important. And it's often out of designer's control directly. But as you sort of grow as a designer and build more influence within an organization or earn more social credibility, you do have the ability to make different choices. Like all of a sudden someday someone will say, hey, here's this new project. Do you want to work on it or no? And your answer to that might have an impact on your career, right? Mm -hmm. So similar to this is what projects exist in the first place. And I think there's a couple factors here. So one factor of why certain projects exist is does leadership care about that project existing? Like a lot of times leadership within organizations, we're talking like the chief product officer or the CEO, they'll just have this like hunch or they'll have this tweet that's been on their mind or some customer story that they just can't let go of. They're like, oh, yes, we should 100% build a solution to that problem. A shiny object. A shiny object. And if your leadership team has shiny objects that they are distributing about to certain designers, if you're able to latch on to that shiny object and it stays shiny for a long enough period of time, you will find yourself working on a high visibility product that leadership cares about. And that is inherently good for you as a person growing within an organization. Mm-hmm. Now, the the less sort of superficial version of that is just what does the business need, right? Like a business is not a static thing. It evolves over time. So from startup phase to growth phase to maturity phase, the business needs different things. It needs different things to be designed. It needs different roles. It needs different like attention to different kind of details. And your ability as a designer to understand what stage of a company you're working in, what's valued, what's going to have the most impact. All of these things matter and will make you more effective day to day. Now, there's a lot of problems that are only becoming noticeable because of recent evolutions within the industry. And I think a great one here is data science and our ability to filter through and scour through terabytes and terabytes and petabytes, whatever, of data, right? 
like up until recently, we've just had so much information and we weren't really sure how to interpret it, but we're getting better at it. And we have the data science role within a team and it's that person's responsibility to learn something from all of this information. And usually what you want to be learning from this is new problems that you should be working on, right? Like, oh, interesting. We shipped this feature and people are using it in this new and novel way. Uh, or we shipped this thing and nobody's using it. And we only know because now we have access to all this data and we understand how people are interacting with our apps. So I think the meta skill here is how do you put yourself in a position where you're able to discover problems that other people wouldn't otherwise be able to discover? So for example, do you have the ability to go and pair with a data scientist? If you don't have a data scientist on your team, are you in a position where you could learn some SQL queries and get in there yourself and like just really get into the weeds of trying to understand some things that might be non-obvious? Okay. Next on my list, it's like two things kind of, I wrote down reading, but I also wrote down just the way the tech industry is evolving and like day-to-day news. I think these things are interrelated, but there is a meta skill here of, are you aware of how the industry is changing over time? Like again, if you fast forward from 2000 to today, things have changed, right? Like Mm -hmm. we behave differently within organizations. The role of design within companies has become dramatically more elevated. And that happens slowly over time. And the people who noticed that were certainly at an advantage before those who didn't notice that. They were able to put themselves in a position to lead a design org or grow a design team where maybe in the past that wouldn't have been a priority for a business, right? Yep. So this one is more of the long game here. But are you reading things? Are you you staying in tune with how the world around us is changing? And do you have the ability to synthesize those changes or or come up with some sort of prediction for what those changes will mean in terms of you know what kind of problems you're working on, what kind of skills you should be learning, uh, people that you should be meeting, these kinds of things. Yeah, you talked earlier about the leadership zeitgeist. This is like the industry zeitgeist, right? Yeah, what's hot right now? Hansel. All right, the last thing I have on my list under career development and soft skills is sharing publicly blogging, podcasting, contributing to open source, giving away free resources, like this sort of bundle of things that has certain side effects, right? Like one side effect of blogging consistently and intelligently, hopefully over time, is that people will know who you are. Like there will be people who read the things you write. Similarly, contributing to open source or giving things away for free. Like you build this reputation of a person who does these kinds of things or who brings expertise or credibility to the public sphere. And one of the side effects of doing this is that you can build an audience as a designer. You can have a certain level of popularity. You can have a certain level of engagement that other people don't have. And there are advantages to this and there are disadvantages to this. But since we're talking about like the meta skills here that put you at an advantage, One advantage of having an audience is it's a lot easier to spread your ideas. If you want to put something out in the world, having an audience helps that idea go further, helps you get more feedback, helps you refine the idea faster. If you're shipping a side project, you all of a sudden have a pool of people who are just naturally and inherently interested in trying that thing, telling you what they think, sending you feedback and bug reports. 
that is a competitive advantage over the person building a side project who puts it out into the world and nobody gives a shit, right? Mm -hmm. So this one, I'm not really sure how to think about it because obviously you can be very successful without blogging or podcasting or, or doing these <laughs> kinds of things. I hope so. But there's certainly some advantages here that are worth considering if we're thinking about the metagame here. Okay, and then finally, just to kind of tie all this up in a bow, I wrote down, disclaimer, keeping up with these metagame changes is work. And if you don't do it for a long time, the world and the landscape is going to change without you. Mm -hmm. And I think a very clear way that probably everybody here has either seen or felt is somebody who wants to rebuild their personal website, but they haven't coded in 10 years. And all of a sudden you enter and you're like, all right, I want to make a website in 2020. Where do I start? And the landscape is confusing. It is complicated. There are a billion tools, so many options. And it's really hard for newcomers who had past experience to know what to do. Like everything just changed around them. Their mental models, the way that they think about building for the web has changed. And so that applies to all of these things that we've talked about above, I think, which is if you don't pay attention, if you don't keep up with things, like you should expect to lose touch and it's up to you to decide how comfortable you are with that, like how comfortable you are with, you know, trading off being in the know of the industry zeitgeist versus spending more time outside with your friends and family, right? <laughs> like these are, these are trade-offs that people can make. And certainly you can imagine that that trade-off equation changes over time as you get older as you have a family with mm -hmm. different financial constraints mm -hmm. so none of this is static here yeah all right marshall i've just monologued the fuck out of this <laughs> and uh i'm curious if anything here stood out to you as untrue or needed clarification no i just i i actually really like that last point a lot of the meta is always changing. The meta is inherently ephemeral. It Should is, we say fleeting? It's oh my <laughs> god, Brian! It all comes back around. Yeah. Dare we? Like I, I was, I was trying to think of of other examples that are kind of games related, and I think a really good one is chess. And this is one where it's like those rules, those base rules, have never, ever, ever changed. They've basically been set in stone for hundreds of years. The same pieces, the same movement sets for each of those pieces, but the thing that's changed is the people who play the game. And when somebody comes along and they have a different way of doing stuff, it makes everyone else have to react to them. And then there are, there are counters to counters to counters and it goes down the, down the rabbit hole. But yeah. And so ours is even more complicated. Like not only is the meta changing obviously, but so are the rules. And uh, so it's a lot to keep track of, but if you stay on top of it, just like with anything, consistency breeds success. So yeah. just keep at it. It's like the old adage, don't hate the game, hate the players. <laughs> As they say. As I say. All right. That was a dump. That was some thoughts. Pavel, let us know what you thought. Everybody else, I, I'm curious what people think of this topic. I thought this was fun to think about what are we doing every day that isn't in the product design idea to problem to solution phase like what's all the other stuff happening around us like career development and and knowing what to work on next and finding new problems to solve like all mm -hmm. this kind of stuff i think it's really interesting to come up with examples so i'm sure we missed a 
billion, but uh, let us know. Yeah, I, th- I also think this is really important for, for people who are coming out of design school or just getting into the industry and thinking like, oh, when, when I get my dream job, all I'm going to be doing is building awesome products. Like, no, nope, that's part of it. Yeah, that's definitely part of it. But there's so much more. There's, there's a metagame on top of the game. Awesome. Well, tweet at us with your thoughts. I would love to hear feedback on this. And with that, Marshall, let's wrap up with cool things. So I got another show for you this week, Brian. Oh, I'm so behind, Marshall. I had a, a TV show last week and another one this week. You might wonder how I have time to watch all this stuff. I do wonder, Marshall. Yeah, I I wonder too because I feel like I never have any free time, but I squeak in episodes. I, I don't sleep. Maybe that's part of it. Is I get like four <laughs> hours a night. That's, that's like yes, this tracks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But one of the things I've been watching in my free time recently is a Netflix show called lock and key have you heard of this have you seen it no but all it makes me think about is john Locke from lost so yep that's where my brain goes to but it's not that this is a tv show based on a series of graphic novels written by joe hill who although it doesn't sound like it is the son of stephen king i appreciate uh, him not leaning on his father's surname yeah, but Joe Hill wrote the series of graphic novels and came out years and years ago. But they've finally been made into a series on Netflix. And so far, the first season has tracked pretty faithfully to the first graphic novel, the first volume. And uh, here's a quick premise. So basically, it's a family. The father befell an untimely death, and they move to his childhood home out in rural northeast somewhere. I'm not sure. Massachusetts. But- I'm on the Wikipedia. Okay, cool. Yeah, Yeah. so they they moved to Massachusetts to kind of start over after the death of the husband slash father and moved to this big scary house. And the kids discover that there are these keys in the house that do special things. And let your mind go from there. Uh, here, I'll give you an example of something the keys can do. Is this a spoiler for people? If they no, wanna... no, no, no. Uh, this is like you know episode one, so this isn't too bad. But here's one of the things one of the keys can do. This is pretty straightforward. One key is called the anywhere key, I think. And if you use it on a door and the lock on a door, when you open that door, whatever place you're thinking of it will teleport you to that place on the other side when you walk through the door. When you close the door, the link is broken, right? Um, so Whoa. that's one. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm intrigued. I'm yeah. intrigued now. It's partly a comedy. It's partly kind of magical sci-fi fantasy. It's partly like family drama. It's part thriller. It's a bunch of different things, but one thing it definitely is is enjoyable, Brian. Oh, and I recommend you watch it. Awesome. Okay, cool. Great, yeah. cool thing. Cool. I have not a show, but a movie this week. Mm. It's one that I watched last night and thoroughly enjoyed. It was lovely. Have you seen a film by the title of Jojo Rabbit? No, uh, I own <gasps> it and I want to watch it. Oh, you haven't seen it yet. This is a Taika Waititi joint, right? Yes, and it was so enjoyable. Uh, I, I'll give you the one sentence opening synopsis on IMDb, so... Not a spoiler, this is on IMDb, but if you want to go in blind, just skip ahead like 20 seconds. Okay. A young boy in Hitler's army finds out that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. Sounds like Steven Spielberg or Quentin Tarantino fodder, but no, this is Taika Waititi, funny funny New Zealander man. It is satire, first of all, so Mm. it is funny. Uh, Uh It takes place in World War II, Germany, obviously, because it's about a young boy in Hitler's army. Uh-huh. Uh, but they all have like English and American accents, but they're like trying to make it a German accent. And they'll like, 
we watched it with subtitles on and they'll say like, yeah. And, and the subtitle will be like, yeah, you know, yeah. like J A. Yeah, yeah. So there's all these like weird accenty things happening to the point where it's just comical. Like, okay. They're make, just making fun of just how absurd this whole thing was. Mm-hmm. Uh, not to make light of it, but certainly they, they poke fun at, you know, nationalism, especially is kind of like the theme of the movie. Just like, what does it mean to, to be a Nazi in world war two Germany? Mm. So, uh, it was a funny movie. I mean, there are obviously some moments because it's about world war two Germany and Nazis and, and a Jewish girl. And, uh, so there's, there's really some incredible moments, but it's a great story. And we had a really fun time watching the movie. So I would recommend it to people. Uh, it's Jojo rabbit. Cool. Uh, uh, to tie this back into something we were talking about earlier, Taika Waititi, who directed and stars in this, wrote, directed, and starred in a movie called What We Do in the Shadows, starring Jemaine from Flight of the Concords. Wow, dude. Small world. (laughs) So if anyone wants, if anyone can't tell Marshall and I apart, Marshall knows that stuff. I do not. I think he even had something to do with uh, Flight of the Concords, too. Him and Murray. You've seen Murray, too. Murray. Present. Oh, the the other character? Jemaine. Yeah. yeah, Present. Yeah, yeah. The, their manager. Right, right. All right. Well, those are, I guess, people have some homework this week. We have an article to read. We have uh, a list of books with fundamentals that, honestly, you and I need to catch up on. We have yeah. The Mother of All Demos. We have a TV show. We have a movie. We got a lot of shit for y'all. So, And I have a long podcast to edit. <laughs> and a long <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Okay. On that note, let's wrap this up. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Let us know what you thought. As always, please, please tweet at us. Send us DMs. Uh, we really appreciate that. If you are enjoying the show, you can support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash design details. You can, uh, for just a buck a month, get access to sponsor-free episodes as well as bonus land. Bonus land. Bonus land. Bonus land. Bonus land. Bonus <laughs> there you go. Damn it. You were leaning back. You were leaning back too far. (laughs) It it faded in that time instead of out. Also, thank you to Fathom for sponsoring the show. Go to designdetails.fm slash fathom and you're going to get 20 bucks off your first invoice for simple privacy first analytics software that you should use for your personal website and all of your side projects and uh, maybe all of your main projects too. Honestly, it's fantastic software with Uh, a great team behind it. So check that out. Designdetails.fm slash fathom. Of course, if you have your own question for us, you can go to github.com slash specfm. We have a repo for design details and you can open an issue. That just helps us keep track of what questions we have and haven't answered. And it's nice. We we see some people commenting in there. So open an issue for us and we'll uh, get to that as soon as we can. Of course, if you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. That's our podcast network for designers and developers just like you. If you want to really help us, go to iTunes and leave us a review. iTunes reviews tell Apple that you're listening so that Apple can recommend us to other designers and the show will keep growing in a virtuous, beautiful cycle. So iTunes reviews are greatly appreciated. Uh, Of course, the easiest thing to do today is just follow us on Twitter, Design Details FM. Hit us up, tweet at us. We love seeing those. It's what keeps us going every week. Uh, We really appreciate it. So that's it. And uh, Marshall, I'll see you next week. Bye. Oh, say say bye in German. Oh, Afida um, saying, beautiful. <laughs>
Uh, so Marshall, tell me about tell me about your face. Uh, okay, I grew a beard for a long time, mm-hmm. just out of apathy. I I should say I didn't grow a beard. I didn't shave for a long time. I didn't trim my beard down. To <laughs> Unintentionally stubble. let face hair accumulate. Yeah, I call it my apathy beard. Anyway, so I had an apathy beard that had grown in over the course of several weeks and. A couple days ago, Virginia was like, are you going to trim your beard soon? And I was like, yeah, I'll do it in a couple days. And she's like, when you do, leave a handlebar mustache. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we're, I'm going to be working from home this week. So yeah, fuck it. No okay, that's deal. cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I can do that. So I made sure to get it done before we had this phone call so that I could bless you with its presence. It's gorgeous. 